1: copy paste nothing personal word of the day for thursday june 9th 2022 is the old infamous copy paste doors closed copy paste landed safely home safely copy paste it's what you do when you're texting multiple people or when you're trying to take a plagiarized part of a article online and you wanna put it into a paper you're writing in school and hopefully not get caught by the Google you've been plagiarized alert notification the teachers have, you hit copy, then you go to where you're gonna paste it, you hit paste and then boom, you got yourself a written documentation that someone else has prepared. Copy paste refers to what Jack Del Rio did in his apology. Let me rewind. Jack Del Rio is the defensive coordinator for the Washington Command Skins. Jack Del Rio is a former head coach. He is a card-carrying MAGA, which is fine if that's what you wanna be. But Jack Del Rio had a few comments that did not go over well. Today is the beginning of the hearings on Capitol Hill, discussing the January 6th insurrection gonna be shown on all your networks. You'll be able to find it easily, whether you go to MSNBC or CNN, don't go to Fox, you won't find it there. But these hearings are gonna hopefully show us what goes on behind the curtain, explain to us how close we were to a real problem that day, explain why it was or was not a coup attempt, whether it was or was not an insurrection, who knew what, when, where, how. That is what we expect these hearings to do and it's gonna be ugly. And the reason that it's going to be ugly is that you are gonna have people who were downplaying the seriousness of January 6th, ignoring evidence so they can maintain their ostrich head in the sand defense, versus people who are gonna be alarmed because they thought it was bad, then they're gonna hear it was even worse than they thought it was. So these are gonna be very polarizing hearings. When you are running a sports team, you have to be aware when things like this are happening. You have to be in front of issues like that when it comes to how you're gonna deal with it publicly. And you've gotta be speaking to your players and to your coaches about these issues because everyone needs to understand what you can say, what you can't say, even if you want to say something, there are certain things that you should simply stay away from. Now, David, it sounds like you are trying to censor your players. It sounds like you're trying to hurt the d- intellectual discourse, the exchange of opinions, when they don't match yours. No, that's not it at all. What I'm trying to do is make sure that we don't lose any sponsors, that we don't lose any fans, the few that we have, and that if you're going to talk about something that you don't have full knowledge of, just because you've got a platform and a microphone, let's get you full knowledge then see where your opinion is and then discuss the best way to say what you want to say so that would be my general rule when talking about difficult issues jack del rio sent out a tweet on monday and he was responding and quote tweeting a tweet about the january 6th hearings and he said would love to understand the quote whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed, but this is. Hashtag common sense. So Jack Del Rio was trying to say that in the aftermath of George Floyd and all of the other senseless, racially motivated killings that happened at the hands of police. Why, when there was rioting that took place after that, which rioting was done, you could argue by predominantly black people, but there certainly were white people involved. Why, The protests that turned violent and businesses and glasses were shattered and windows were shattered and things were stolen and looting happened. And you had a president saying, let's stop this right now. Let's use nerve gas and tear gas and rubber bullets and anything we can to stop this mayhem and nonsense. But what happened on January 6th, hey, nothing burnt down. They weren't trying to hurt anything. They were trying to express their constitutional freedom of speech and freedom of expression to show that the election was stolen, yada, yada, yada. So Jack Del Rio says this, and people questioned him about it, and said, hmm, are you really trying to do a what about argument? Hey, I know this was bad, but what about that? So Jack Del Rio thought about it, and was given an opportunity to clarify his statements. In the interim period, the Washington Commandskins, led by Daniel Snyder and Ron Rivera, the coach, did nothing. They thought what Jack Del Rio said, hey, no big deal. He's our defensive coordinator. Everyone's entitled to his own opinion. We're just going to let this go. And I'm famous for cutting off the legs of a bad story because that's the best way to end it. But there's some stories that go full Deadpool and grow back, and you can't cut their legs off, and you've got to know what those stories are. But don't count on Danny Boy to know that, or Ron Rivera, because they're just trying to put out fires. They're like whack-a-mole with all the PR issues they have up there in Washington. And they just figured, this is a mole that we don't need to whack because we've got to use our plunger for all of the other problems that we're having currently. And so they came up with a quote when asked, which was, hey, no big deal, Jack Del Rio's our coach and I see no reason to even discuss this with him, we're good. But the media said, here's an idea, Jack, do you care to clarify? And Jack said, you're damn right I do. He said, let's get right down to it. What did I ask? A simple question. Why are we not looking into those things? If we're gonna talk about January 6th, why are we not looking into those things? Because it's kind of hard for me to say. I can realistically look at it. I see the images on TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. Get ready, folks. And then we have a dust up at the Capitol. Nothing burned down. And we're going to make that a major deal? Rutro. row. What do you think the word in that apology statement or clarification statement got the most attention yeah you're right dust up so here's the thing try to understand proportion right proportionality it's one of the hardest lessons that we learn as adults what is the right way to respond when your child does something Do you respond by yelling? Do you respond by punishing? What's the punishment? Do you take away the iPad? Do you take away the Game Boy? Do you stop a play date? Do you go to the child who's having a sleepover and take them home from a sleepover? What is the proportional response when you're arguing with your significant other? Does this require me to stomp out of the house? Does this require me to stay in a hotel? What is the proportional response? At work, it's the same thing. When you are the boss, you have to understand how to respond to things that are going on with the people who work for you, how to respond to any conflict that's going on with the people who work for you, how to respond to conflict between you and the people who you work for, how do you respond to someone finding a piece of glass in your food at a restaurant? Hey, free drinks, the meal's on us, or uh uh-oh, we have a lawsuit on our hands. Proportionality, you're not born with it you have to learn it and some people don't fully understand it even when they are adults and the reason they don't understand it is that they have a hard time going through the calculus in their brain about what's bad versus what's good versus what's really good versus what's really bad so you picture a scale and when something's really bad, you respond a certain way. When something's bad, you respond in a less serious way, in a less immediate way. When something's good, you're complimentary of it. When something's really good, you make sure to stop what you're doing and point out, wow, that was really good. So we do this every day. I want you to take today and think about your proportional responses to things that happen to you during the course of a day. Like road rage. Like when you give someone the finger versus honking versus getting out of your car with a battle axe and breaking a window, right? There's different responses. Some are acceptable, some are not. There's also the gray areas of proportional responses. Well, for me, that was a proportional response because I was unbelievably offended by that. Well, I wasn't that offended, so I would not have reacted the way you reacted. Well, that's fair, but I would have. So go through your day today as a favor, just as a fun thing. Sometimes I do this. Side note, little detour, Coca. I spent about two years when I was in baseball writing down what I was doing every day at 4.05 p.m. I didn't wanna do a diary or a journal, but I wanted some record of what I was doing every day at that exact moment, so I set my alarm at 405 and whether i was in a meeting i would write down who i was meeting with what it was about on a phone call i was watching a movie i was talking to a player whatever i was doing i wrote it down take today one day and make a note on your phone notes application of all the things that you respond to that get your blood boiling or that make you excited and tingly and write down whether or not you believe you had proportional responses jack del rio when he refers to january 6th as a dust up at the capitol he may not have realized let me strike that he definitely didn't realize that by characterizing the january 6th attack on the capitol as a dust-up where nothing burned down so what's the big deal his response was hey that's not a big deal but if the capitol had been set on fire And all of a sudden we had like the Morgan Freeman as president standing up in front of a scaffolding burnt down Capitol or Bill Pullman, whatever the movie was, Independence Day. We will rebuild because this is America and it's July 4th. It's our Independence Day. Maybe then his response would have been, "Ooh, that was really bad. It was the whole fire part. So when people read about him referring to it as a dust up, their response was, "Uh, we have a problem now because... In Virginia, lawmakers said, that's it. That's another example of how the commanders do business. We're not even thinking about financing their new stadium, which of course they had said the last time the commanders had a problem that they weren't gonna finance a new stadium. But then social media got a hold of it. Then it went viral. Then the Washington command skin said, all right, put this to the top of the list. Danny Boy calls up his PR people, calls up his lawyers, and says, I'm not going to fire Jackie, but we need him to apologize, and we're going to write his apology for him. Hey, Ron, you got to call Jack, because I'm not doing it. Because what you had first said that didn't matter to you, now it's beginning to impact our business, and I'm worried about our fans and our sponsors I'm worried that people are going to view us as though we are complicit and agree with what Del Rio is saying. And while I'm okay with him having said what he said to start with, which he shouldn't have been, I'm not okay with the dust up, although I really am. I don't care, but I have to pretend that I care because now other people are telling me that I should care. And my proportional response is we have to have a response, but it's not going to be from me. It's going to be from Jack. So put something together couple hours later, Jack Del Rio does a copy and a paste. He takes what's sent to him with quotes around it, which is weird, like quoting himself, and he tweets it out. And it's priceless. While I'm reading this, please picture Danny Snyder reading what his lawyers and PR people have prepared. Because he read it, and then it was forwarded to Del Rio, who copied it, pasted it, and sent it to you. I made comments earlier today in referencing the attack that took place on the United States Capitol, all caps, on January 6th, 2021. Referencing that situation as a dust-up, not in quotes, was irresponsible and negligent, and I am sorry. I stand by my comments condemning violence in communities across the country. I say that while also expressing my support as an American citizen for peaceful protest in our country. I have fully supported all peaceful protests in America. I love, respect and support all my fellow coaches, players and staff that I work with, it's who not that, that I work with and respect their views and opinions. Does that sound like Jack Del Rio to you? Let's just break that down a little bit because Jack Del Rio got the first draft of this, which didn't include the last sentence, the sentence in there that said, I stand by my comments condemning violence in communities across the country. The actual original probably just ended with, I made comments earlier today and referencing that was irresponsible and negligent and I am sorry, because that should have been it. If you are trying to rebound and trying to walk back a comment and you actually believe that you were wrong or think that you didn't think it through properly, or think that your response was not proportional, then you end it with, I'm sorry. But Jack Del Rio's not sorry. Jack Del Rio is nothing other than exactly what he told you he is, which is a man who has beliefs that what happened at the Capitol and is exactly what should have happened because the election was stolen, and what happened on the streets with the looting and the burning and the riots is something that we cannot permit because we better arm ourselves because we're gonna get gotten. But the PR people and the lawyers said, hey, Jack, we're gonna have to add something here but we're happy to have you say that you're okay with peaceful protests, but we can't have you in any way condoning violence. And then we've got to put in there the last sentence because we've got a bunch of black players and you have a problem with them right now. And we've already asked them to go public and they have, saying, hey, you're our defensive coordinator, and we just want to win games, let's not make a big issue of this, because we begged and pleaded with our players something that I've done before, which is, listen, I know we just made this trade, I know you're not happy with the team performance, but please, don't pile on. Is there any chance that you can just tweet, or when the media talks to you in the clubhouse, just say that everything's okay, and that you understand what we're doing? Can you do that for me this one time? Players, you beg. Coaches, you tell. That's a big difference between players and coaches. You don't beg Jack Del Rio to apologize. You tell him to. But when you're the Washington command skins and you have no command over your players, your staff, or your PR, you tend to make mistakes like they made with this apology. You end it with the fact that Jack Del Rio's is defensive coordinator loves respects and supports his fellow coaches players and staff who cares that has nothing to do with actually the issue at hand the issue at hand is him not understanding what happened on January 6th but the command skins are so worried about their players and about their performance and about how everything looks to everybody that they lose sight of the ball. They lose sight of what's important. And where's the comment from Ron Rivera? Well, I got one for you, Ron. Let Jack go. Fire him. You gonna do it? I'm not gonna wait to see. Wait to see is when I tell you something's gonna happen, and then we revisit it. We either tell you what happened or tell you what didn't happen. Some wait to see's take a while. Some take a day. Yesterday, there was another unfortunate chapter in the saga of American gymnasts who were sexually violated and abused by Larry Nassar. Hundreds and hundreds of victims over many years. He was the doctor who was inappropriately touching these women, molesting them, abusing them. These women had the courage to go forward to complain to the FBI, to ask for an investigation, and the FBI, in a documentary that we reviewed on this show that I can't remember the name of, actually, Coca, the FBI did nothing. Members of the FBI, some of them who went on to work for universities and for other such institutions outside of the FBI, FBI didn't even contact the Michigan office. They really did nothing. And these women decided, that's enough. Yesterday, they filed a $1 billion lawsuit against the FBI. We count on our government to protect us, don't we? You know, there was a uh, a case that I'm going to read after the show that just came out that Coca sent me before we started recording. Our Supreme Court, which is now a conservative bench, six to three, voted and basically said that There are no constitutional rights within 100 miles of the border, which is basically 60% of our country. And if people, if the government and the police force, if they want to break in to your house, they have the right to break in if they suspect anything. They don't need reasonable, probable cause. They don't need a warrant. They don't need anything. They can just break in saying there's no constitutional right to protection in your own home within 100 miles of the border but don't we count on our government to protect us? Don't we count on the government and we vote in people who we think are gonna do right by us, who we think are gonna represent us in the way we wanna be represented, us to give us the best chance, the best life? Don't you think about the FBI and say, they are there, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they are there to make sure that when somebody's doing something to someone that is something that should not be done to anyone, that these are the people who are gonna make sure it's not done to anyone else. They're gonna find out whether someone did something. And when they don't, you feel powerless, don't you? I would imagine it's the feeling that people have when they call the police. We just reviewed a movie about this, Coca. What was the movie we just reviewed about the two boys who did not want to call the police when they found a white girl passed out because they were worried. They were two African-American boys in college and they were worried and that they were then going to be accused of the crime. I just reviewed it, I think within the last two weeks or so. And oh, emergency is exactly what it's called. Imagine, and I've never had this feeling, so I'm imagining it only. Imagine if you did not think that you had the support of people in uniform or people with badges. Imagine if you were scared of them and thought that they were there to kill you and abuse you and hurt you and put you in prison. That's not the world we want to live in, is it? That's not the democracy that so many people fought for and died for. So the FBI had a responsibility to these gymnasts, whether it was Simone Biles, Ali Reisman is involved, there's like 90 of the gymnasts who are suing the fbi and what they're saying in the lawsuit is this you could have stopped it you knew because we told you and you didn't believe us you didn't care you didn't protect us from something that already happened and you didn't protect future gymnasts from what was going to happen this monster who by the way is in prison for he's in prison for multiple lifetimes currently i never understood that side note when people get four life sentences i was in law school and i learned all about the criminal justice system and we learned about punishment and when you murder five people you can get five life sentences sometimes they're concurrent sometimes they're consecutive and i always wondered like isn't that strange when you're dead you're dead Whatever your religion is, maybe if you're dead and your religion is that you come back, and then you come back, no matter who you come back as, you then get another life sentence. That's why I like capital punishment. You don't have to worry about consecutive or concurrent. Side note. So the FBI had a duty to protect. The FBI did not. And then Larry Nassar was able to abuse more girls. So the FBI gets this lawsuit, and the rules say they've got six months to respond. They're gonna respond. But here's how it's gonna work. They're going to settle. They're going to give these girls money and say, that's it. This disappears now, right? That's what we do in our legal system. We assign a dollar amount to your suffering. Ooh, you lost an arm? That's $50,000. Oh, you can't have sex with your wife anymore that's hundred and twenty two thousand dollars unless you've been married a long time and you're Jewish in which case it's two dollars and sixty eight cents pain and suffering give me a million dollars what exactly what amount of money right the Parkland victims got a hundred the families got hundred and twenty five million dollars I wonder would they trade that to have their children back Must be hard, right? My number one movie on my list is called Fearless. It's about people who survive a plane crash, and there's a scene in the movie with Jeff Bridges and Isabella Rossellini and Tom Hulse, who plays a lawyer. Tom Hulse says to Jeff Bridges when he is being talked to by the attorneys for the airline that crashed, you got to make sure that you tell him you saw your best friend die before your very eyes and you saw him suffer. And the reason why you saw him suffer is that's the way for his wife to get more money. We gotta show that we suffered and then put a dollar amount to it. It feels so dirty, doesn't it? But the FBI is gonna do that. They're gonna look at what they did and realize there's no way they're going to trial. There's no way they're getting in front of a jury because it's very clear that these gymnasts told the FBI, we've got a problem here and here's his name. It's not like we can't find him. He's not like son of Sam during the summer of 77 or 78. Who is he? it's Larry. Go get him. They're not going to get a billion dollars, but it's going to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. I'll give you a wait to see. The FBI will settle with the Nassar victims. And it's still not going to be enough. And it's still not going to give these girls their lives back. Not even close. We come back, we're going to review a movie that I found that I can't wait for you to watch. And the movie we're going to review tomorrow, if you want to watch it in advance, is called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It's the new Nicolas Cage movie. I'm going to watch that today. But we're going to review Butter when we come back. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the Broncos again, because something interesting happened that we have to mention. We'll be right back. The 82-game preseason is in the books, and it's finally time for the real season. Don't miss out on any of the NBA playoff action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. From the play-in tournament through the finals, DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. From what you've seen so far, do you think they'll be a first-time winner of the NBA championship? If the Pacers, Clippers, Suns, Magic, Pelicans, or T-Wolves win, you win at plus 650. That's six teams to root for, six chances to win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SAMSON, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Fouette in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and following, and please tell your friends about what we do here every day. The more, the merrier, because frankly, there's no one here except a camera. So whether there's a million of you, or two million of you, or 200,000 of you, I won't know the difference, but tell everybody because Coco will know the difference, and so will the people he sends the numbers to. So I still watch a movie every day. I tell you that every day, but I really do watch one every day. And I watched a movie called Butter. Butter is a movie that stars Alex Kirstein and McKaylee Miller. Alex Kirstein plays a obese high school student who goes on social media to ask his friends, quote unquote, and everybody else in his high school, what he should eat for his final meal because he's going to kill himself and he is gonna do it while live streaming. This is a movie that would not have come out in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s. This is a brand new movie because this did not exist before. One of the absolute unintended consequences of social media and of the technological advances that we have here in this country and on this planet is that kids and adults are able to do things when they're crying out for attention and people give them that attention, but it's more like a train wreck than it is empathy. And there's no one meaner than high school students. So a bunch of the high school jocks and rocks, they said, hey butter, you're gonna kill yourself? All right, we'll tell you what to eat. He's called Butter because he was made fun of and beaten up as a kid, this obese kid, and forced to eat an entire stick of butter while people laughed and made fun of him and then called him Butter. Meanwhile, he's in love with the most beautiful girl in high school who doesn't even look at him, but he's got an online anonymous relationship with her and she's fallen in love with the online guy who she doesn't know is the guy named Butter who's sitting in her High school class well you can imagine where this goes the movie is absolutely predictable because eventually she discovers who butter is she gets angry eventually the friends discover that butter is a good guy after all eventually they all discover that maybe forcing butter to kill himself on tv by eating his last meal and killing himself in that way probably isn't a good thing so there's a few good lessons in there. It's a very predictable movie, but here's why I'm suggesting you watch it. One way that we can improve ourselves, we talked about proportional responses in the beginning of the show. One thing that adults and children alike can improve upon is the concept of lush and horror, which is a Yiddish concept for gossip, gossiping or, or what we do to make ourselves feel better, which is by bringing people down to our level so they could be as miserable as we are And then the frame of reference gets smaller and therefore we can better excuse our existence and our life. People perfect that in middle school, right? In high school where they make fun of the fat kid or make fun of the kid who looks different or sounds different because being different when you're young is bad, no matter how you slice it because kids have not yet learned proportional response. They have not yet learned or developed the proper level of empathy. That's up to parents to do and teachers this is an important movie to show your children and to show your friends because maybe just maybe a bunch of us will watch butter and realize that the way we act toward people sometimes it's just not right butter with alex kirsten giving a great performance as butter and micali miller as the uh beautiful high school student also is very good in this movie Mira sorvino the academy award winner is in it too all right i want to just mention the broncos here for a minute coca because something came out yesterday yesterday on the show we covered that walton of walmart was going to buy the broncos for 4.65 billion dollars we talked about how happy roger goodell was we talked about how it doesn't matter there's no minorities because they have the token minority partner but it doesn't matter they're looking for the highest price they can get One of the other bidders, and we talked about it, if you listen to the local hour on Levitard today, we talked about the fact that the group of people who can buy teams is so small now because you've got to be the richest of the rich, right? Not just the top 1%, the top 0.0000001% of the 1%, a multi-multi-billionaire. And that's why you see the same names all the time, interested in the same teams, so Josh Harris, whose partner is David Blitzer, and they own the Sixers, that team that trusts the process, and the New Jersey Devils, who I don't know how they've done. And they own a soccer team, but they have also were interested in buying Chelsea. It didn't work out. They're, they're looking at expanding their footprint. And so they thought, you know what? I'm gonna buy the Broncos. And it came out yesterday that Josh Harris was willing to outbid Walton and that he would have paid $5 billion for the Broncos but he wanted an assurance that Walton would not have trumped the bid. I want to explain what this is. I tried to get Josh Harris involved in buying the Marlins. Josh Harris and David Blitzer are really good business people. They need some sort of financial calculus that would show that there is a way to justify the price of the underlying asset. There is no justification for a $5 billion price tag for the Denver Broncos. There is no revenue stream. There is no multiple that you can use to the revenue stream. It is simply the ego premium on owning an NFL team has become multi-billion dollars. Now, for the Cowboys, it's multi-multi-multi-billion dollars. For the Carolina Panthers, it's just multi-billion and for teams in between, you can then add as many multis as you want. And the Broncos are in a position, they're in the maybe the multi, multi, multi. They're not near the Cowboys. They're not near the Giants, right? They're not near the Eagles. They're sort of in the middle multi arena. Josh Harris doesn't want to play in that arena. And I know that you or some of your people are listening to this. And I would say that when you came out or the rumor that came out, I didn't buy it. And the reason I didn't buy it is that you know better. When you are in a bidding process for a team, an auction process, which is what the Broncos, how they were sold. The Broncos are owned by the Pat Boland Trust that was created when he didn't have a succession plan. By the way, Coca, somebody asked me about succession plans. I think we'll cover that in a mailbag, is how... Owners come up with a succession plan and what that means actually, and how the league approves that or doesn't approve it, and whether or not that means the league is getting involved in your estate planning, etc. That's a good mailbag topic for maybe when I'm in Kilimanjaro and Africa, we can talk about that. But in this case, the only goal for the trust that runs the Broncos was to get the highest bid. Now, that seems strange to you, right? Well, no. When a team is owned by an individual, by a company, by a trust, They always have the same goal. But when it's owned by trust, you get to say, hey, it's the fiduciary duty. We get to say, oh, they had to do it that way. But of course they were going for the highest bid. So when you are going for the highest bid possible, here's what you don't do. You do not say to a bidder, here's, you have an exclusive. We'll give you 20 days to buy this team at this price. I don't wanna do that because I want to take whatever price this person's offering, and I want to go to the next person and say, excuse me, are you willing to go a dollar higher than that price? I am. You are? Great. I'll be right back to you. Excuse me. Are you willing to go a dollar higher than the dollar higher that that guy just went because he's outbidding you? And back and forth you go until you arrive at $4.65 billion, and finally, everybody says nothing further. Have you ever watched an auction, like an art auction, when they've got the gavel and they do going once, going twice, sold to the totally irrational person in the fourth row? Thank you so much. That's exactly what these teams are doing. There's no way if Josh Harris were willing to bid $5 billion that he wouldn't have bid $5 billion. but then Walton would have said, fine, I'll go to $5.1 billion. And if Walton had been willing to go above five, that means there's been a breach of fiduciary duty. That means the people who are representing the Broncos and selling the Broncos did not do their job. And I'm not willing to admit that, which is why that story is a bunch of horse hockey. So don't believe it. All right. Did you watch the game last night? I did, Coca. You know... The Celtics are just bigger, faster, stronger than the Warriors. The Warriors can shoot. But when they're not hitting their shots, and the Celtics are, and they still have that size, that's how the Celtics are going to win games. And boy, did they win. I thought when the Warriors took the lead briefly that the Celtics would crumble. But they are constitutionally made much stronger than I thought they would. And they were. And the Warriors lost. And they lost handily. So we're 68-53. and We had the Warriors. That was a mistake pick. I wonder who I'm going to choose for f- tomorrow on Friday night's show. Are the Celtics really going to go up 3-1 to one on the Warriors? Come on. No. Anyway, we're not there yet. Tonight we get to watch a game five, and I'm super excited about it. Lightning Rangers in the most famous arena in the world. That's not what it is. Say it again, Coca. Ah. 469 in the world's most famous arena tonight the rangers will host the tampa bay lightning and lose game five because the lightning are going to go to the stanley cup to play the colorado avalanche take the lightning tonight over the rangers in the pivotal game five so there's one group of people who are very protective of each other you'd say that people in a union are looking out for each other so all the players look out for each other but that's not accurate at all as a matter of fact you have sex of players who are not S-E-X, S-E-C-T-S of players who are interested in just themselves. They're not interested in the union or they're interested in a part of the union like hitters but not pitchers or pitchers are not hitters. But there's one group of, of men, and now it's just men for now, but maybe not forever, but certainly for now. And it is the manager fraternity. The manager fraternity is an interesting one because they don't all like each other, but they definitely all back each other. Because they all know the one absolute about being a manager is that you are without a doubt going to get fired. And if you're going to get fired, you know that you have a chance to get hired into the position that has now been voided by the person who was fired. So therefore, you have that commonality of interest. There have been two firings in Major League Baseball recently. One was Joe Girardi and one was Joe Madden. And Dusty Baker, the manager of the Astros, had a comment about it. And you don't often hear this, so I wanted to point it out. He said, I think it was a premature firing. It's getting less and less forgiving because everybody can't win all the time the whole year. Teams go on streaks. And so he was referring to Joe Madden being fired with the Angels having lost 13 in a row, now 14. Referring to the fact that the Phillies couldn't win games, but now they've won five in a row, and Rob Thompson is undefeated as the new manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm sure Joe Girardi feels great about that. There's one thing that always happens when a manager gets fired. They're always asked about their team. You know, what do you hope for the team? Well, I hope we turn it around, and I hope they make the playoffs. The reason why managers who are fired say that is that then they get to say, Well, it's my fault. You're confused by that, aren't you? Let me explain a little further. Managers secretly, when they're fired, want their teams to lose every game. But they have to publicly say that they're rooting for the players and they're rooting for the team because they want another job and they know that owners are watching what they say and they don't want to hire a manager who has sour grapes who goes scorched earth after being fired because they know when they hire a manager they're going to fire that very same manager and you don't want to fire someone who has a history of going scorched earth so publicly they always say oh i want the phillies to win or the angels to win those are my guys i'm going to root for them strongly horse hockey are not rooting for them. Joe Madden doesn't want the Angels to win one more game. Joe Girardi doesn't want the Phillies to win one more game. He wants them both to finish below 500. They both want their teams to miss the playoffs. Guaranteed. But what Dusty Baker is saying is interesting. Because it hasn't changed. The way in-season firings happen is when your team is underperforming or when you had the wrong idea of what your team was as a member of the front office and you're not willing to acknowledge that you were wrong so you need a fall guy so in the history of managers it's always been the same off season you can say something different off season you can say we're going a different direction we felt this was the appropriate time as we look forward to next season, we're looking forward to a new voice, a new start, etc. We couldn't come to an agreement. We had a difference in opinion on value or direction, like how Brian Snicker was fired from the St. Louis. No, it was not Brian Snicker. Who was the? Uh, oh my God! Who was the Cardinals manager who just got fired this off season, replaced by Marmol? Um, it is uh, Mike Schilt. Thank you. Whew. Remember when he when he was fired? by the Cardinals and, and uh, their head of baseball operations, John Mozeliak said that, yeah, we just had a difference of opinion about the direction of the team. You don't say that during the season. You can only say that during the off season. So during the season, you're left with only one direction to go. And that is, we're not playing well, for whatever the reason is. And Dusty knows this. But what he's really trying to say through his comments is what Joe Madden said that we touched on yesterday, but people are not giving it enough air to breathe and to understand what's happening. There's an entire group of people in baseball who are becoming irrelevant and they're watching themselves become irrelevant and they're trying to fight that irrelevancy. We watched it with Moneyball with scouts, right? Scouts who just use their eyes. They're becoming, they're being replaced. It's sort of like when AI replaces factory workers because if you can have automation, why wouldn't you? Why deal with HR issues? Why deal with 401ks when you can just have a robot do something like assemble a car? It makes perfect sense. We get to cut our headcount and we get to improve our input, make it more efficient and make more money. That's what baseball is doing to managers. They're marginalizing managers because if you look at the pay of managers, GMs are getting paid more than managers now, and it used to be the other way around. Because now, it is more important for GMs, and that's a more important position because they're running a big organization, and they're in charge of all the analytics and of making everything totally fine-tuned, and managers are really just supposed to be robots now who are carrying out the desires of the front office. So when Joe Madden got fired, he said, I don't appreciate that. Like, I think it's gone too far. Well, I've known Dusty Baker for 20 years. Dusty Baker is exactly in that camp. Ironically, he works for a team who is extremely analytically oriented, and he we know why Dusty Baker got that job when they were forced to fire AJ Hinch, who now manages the Tigers, and they were forced to fire AJ Hinch after the garbage can scandal. And Dusty Baker was brought in to be calm, cool, and collected, and have bring gravitas back to that office as sort of an old school guy. But all the old school managers say the same thing: I embrace analytics now. I can do it but in fact they don't and in fact they can't so Dusty Baker is pleading with owners through this statement begging them to understand that what he does matters hmm. I wonder if Jim Crane's gonna listen I'm gonna guess not because owners tend to not really care what managers are saying as it relates to their relevance because they're used to running companies where when employees are sort of forced out through technological improvement or through other levels of efficiencies, owners and chairmen and presidents, they don't think about the families. They don't think about what the long-term ramifications are of eliminating a position. As a matter of fact, side note, in the law, when you are firing somebody, one of the ways to get away with it is by saying, we are firing you because your position is no longer required. The law actually enforces this behavior by owners by saying, really, you're not relevant. We don't need you. We can't say, oh, we're firing you because you weren't good at your job because then you get to say I was good at my job and then you get to say you fired me because I'm a minority or other such thing, it would lead to some sort of settlement. So the best thing to do when you're firing someone is you say, hey, your job is no longer even a job. Think about that for one second. The irrelevancy that people are fighting against when the law says irrelevancy is the way to save money. God, even with firings, it's just business. This is nothing personal.